It's always a great joy and a massive privilege to stand here and bring God's word to us. And um, as my dear friend and colleague pastor, uh, Paolo said, we are today in Psalm 20. And uh, um, the, the, the title, uh, for those who have been looking at the title in the bulletin, is uh, Addressing God as a King. Uh, this is some uh, before us, uh, as you can see, begins and ends with a prayer for victory in battle. It was originally made by the people of Israelite for their king David before he went to battle. But ultimately, it was a prayer for their own well-being, for the welfare or their welfare noted, or I will say were tied up with the victory of the king. It was a prayer addressed to the Lord as a king, pleading for him to hear them and answer them. Why the king? Why to ask to address God as a king? Because at the end of the day, the Lord is the great God. He is the great king above all gods. And as we've been singing, he is the king of kings. Now the climax of this psalm is found in verse 9, which comes on the screen. That's how literally it should be translated. Some of the folks here, sometimes I hate doing this, but it's important. Um, some of the folks here, they know this uh, stuff. And I want to go, I just spare you the gritty of uh, how each translator landed with this. But this is how it should be translated literally. Oh Lord, save. The king will answer us in the day when we call. And the king in view there is not King David, but is the Lord himself. So they are crying out to the Lord as a king, Lord, save. This, as you are the true king, we know that you will answer us. The king who is above all kings who rules over all kingdoms in the nations. There are basically two parts of uh, this uh, verse, and uh, as you can see that on screen. The first part is a battle cry. Oh Lord, save. And then the second part uh, is basically the certainty of a victory. Now, that's the sermon done. 
There's a battle cry. There is a certainty of a victory. But please allow me to unpack a little bit in each. And if you can just uh, leave them there the way they are, that would be great. The battle cry to begin with, it is a short, urgent, desperate, and yet meaningful and effective cry. It is such a cry which has been echoed through the ages. For instance, prophet Jeremiah cries out and say, heal me. Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. Short, sweet, but so powerful. And maybe this is the cry for each one of us here. Oh Lord, save me. And particularly for you who have not yet come to know the Lord Jesus. Once you confess that and just cry to him, Lord, save me. There will be a marvelous transformation. You'll be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and be transferred into the kingdom of uh, his dear son. The Lord Jesus Christ. And many people in this room have known the joy, the transformation, the delight of that transfer. That once upon a time, you were under the kingdom of darkness, and now you are in the kingdom of the Lord. But let me just uh, dig deep a little bit with what we see here. You may think, oh, but what about the first verse 1 to uh, uh, 8? Well, this battle cry, as uh, the Israelites uh, looked into the battlefield and David, uh, who is their king, going on there, basically they cried out. And so this battle cry summarizes, to some sense, prayers that are found from verse 1 all the way to verse 5. That's what we see there. The people are crying. A few things we can observe. It is a prayer made in the day of distress or trouble. As they looked into the battlefield, they were in distress and they cried out, for God to intervene. And when you look at this passage and the other passages, what you see, that the time of distress is the right time to pray rather than to turn to despair. That's what you see through the scripture. Psalm 18.6, which we looked at the other day, in my distress, the psalmist say, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. In the New Testament, James chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Is anyone in trouble? He should pray. The time of distress, 
The time of trouble is the time to turn to God in prayer. Prayer is always, or as it has been, the remedy which many people in the scripture have turned to. Jesus, the Son of God, made this also his practice. He wasn't ashamed to use this remedy, even in the time of his agony. We read in Luke chapter 22, verse 41, following that in the hour of this mysterious agony of his life, he knelt down and prayed. And the more the agony became acute, the more earnestly he prayed, even at the cross. In other words, the Lord is the first friend to whom we should turn to in the day of distress. But we also observe in these first five verses that it was a corporate prayer. A prayer which all the people made together as they wanted their king to be victorious. So they too may be victorious. In other words, it also echoed what the people did under the reign of King Jehoshaphat. You remember in the second Chronicles chapter 20 where Jehoshaphat was attacked. The people came together as one people and they sought the Lord. But it's also a prayer of faith. Look at verse 5. What a statement there. We shall shout of joy when you are victorious. I shall come back to this, but look, let's see. They, they, they haven't yet even started the battle, but they're already proclaiming the victory. And many of us in the church know very little about this kind of prayer, prayer of faith. You haven't yet even gone into the battle, but you are already proclaiming the victory. And the only way to do that is by praying. But the certainty of a victory, as they cry, O Lord, save, they had this certainty that really the Lord is going to answer them. The king is going to answer them. And this certainty basically takes the confidence that we see from verse 6 all the way to verse 8. The confidence there. And verse 6 begins with, now I know. That little phrase there speaks of a confidence that God has heard his prayer or their prayers. But notice Nothing has changed in their circumstances. The battle has not yet even started. And the victory won. But he is confessing, now I know. I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy place. Assurance comes before. Now, Sometimes it doesn't come like that. But the other time, when you are praying, you can just have that certainty, that confidence that the Lord is going to do something here. 
And when it happened, you know it in your heart. That the Lord is at work. But the certainty of victory is linked with the total dependence and reliance on God. Look at verse 7. Some trust in chariot and horses, but we... I think it tricked me. No. But we trust in the name of the Lord. And I don't want to go into detail about this. But you can see, they don't depend on the artificial support. Because they see these chariots, these horses as human support, but they are depending on the invisible support, which is the most powerful, which is the most real one. Total dependence. I could not help when I was looking at this, but remember or go back to the story of Elisha. You remember the story when he was attacked and the city where he was staying was surrounded by the enemy who has a chariot and horses. And his servant in the morning went outside and looked and panicked and was afraid and came back to the man of God. Elisha was the prophet saying, we are terrified. What are we going to do? Elisha said to him, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so he can see. And we read in the word of God, when the eyes were open, he saw that the hills where Elisha was, was surrounded by the chariot of fire, more powerful than the ones that came to attack them. Happy is the person who sees the unseen like that in time of pressure. Happy is the person who can see that in the time of pressure and distress because that gives you calm and serenity and peace. In verse 8, there's a strong confidence there that God is going to do something. Again, through the eyes of faith, they already saw the defeat of the enemy. Just at the moment when things seem to be at the very worst in the moment of life, that the name of the Lord was going to give them a rise. And they knew at the end that the king will not let them down. The king of kings will answer them. At the end of matter, it, it is his kingdom. And he has invested a lot in them. And so he will refuse to let any enemy crush them. That's why they say the true king, the Lord of lords, will answer us when we call. What a battle. What a confidence in God who gives victory. But 
how does this apply to us? That's where I want to spend a little time. Two things. Number one, this psalm highlights the importance of a church corporate prayer meeting. As we noted earlier, people came together as one fellowship on the eve of the battleground, the eve of their battle to pray together. Now, we as a church, we have uh, a few prayer meetings. One every Saturday morning, another one every third Wednesday of the month. And we have uh, home groups where uh, we meet also for corporate prayer meeting. We have also triplets. But I paused as I was preparing this. And being your friend and being also one of your pastors, and this is only my fourth year in the ministry here, I ask you the serious questions, a series of questions. How important do we see these meetings? How serious do we take them? Do they occupy a place of priority in our diaries. As you listen, as you sit here, think just last year or since we started, down deep in your heart, have you had any, huh, I really want to attend a prayer meeting. I know it is good to pray alone, but it's a different ball game when we come together to cry and seek the Lord's face. There are various people who are on the battleground that we should be supporting our missionaries. They're in the battlefield. The young folks we commissioned the other day from Young Life, they are in the battlefield. I was thinking about Acts 13 and 14, when Paul and Barnabas, which is a passage we shall hear, God willing, in May. I think Paul was preaching on that passage. So, yeah, you can take some thought here or ignore them. That's fine. <laughs> I was thinking about that passage, Paul and Barnabas were commissioned in prayer. And as they went, time were tough in their this missionary adventure. Loneliness, the fatigue of miles under dusty roads, the threat of being stoned. The opposition to the gospel. What about the sending church? Were they just idle? No. They have held them in their prayer. Perhaps a time and again the news filtrated to say Paul is in danger, Barnabas is in danger. 
but also time when they had a glimpse of good news and they could rejoice. And then one day, the news filtrated in the community. Paul and Barnabas are back to report to the church. But not only missionaries that we need to uphold together in prayer. And what about your pastors and church leaders? This week through the study, I discovered how much Paul depended on the prayers of others for the power of ministry. How much it depends on the prayer of others to be set free from the enemies. But not only your pastors. My heart goes to those who are going through battles which they struggle with. Battle of ill health. Battle of loneliness. Battle of all kind of nature. Sorrow. Grief. The battle of all. You see these people... If we care, it's not only on the other matters, but we should care deeply them on our knees. You may say, well, I don't want, I don't know how to pray. Doesn't matter. My plead this morning, and this is in my heart, I implore you in the mercy of God, come whenever you can to a corporate church prayer meeting. You see, even being there, even without saying anything, you'll be greatly encouraged even to hear someone reading a passage of the scripture. And you yourself may just perhaps say that cry, oh Lord, save. That's all. Whether you say it openly or inwardly. To uplift the people who are in distress. That's what fellowship is all about. Those who can't as Paulus was preaching the other day, who find it very hard to wake up in the morning. They don't want to face another day. Unless we are on our knees as a church to pray for this kind of stuff I'm talking about. We want to see much of the advance of God's kingdom. Would you please commit yourself? The second one I have in mind as I look at this, this passage highlights the truth that prayer is a means 
of obtaining grace. Is that coming on the screen? Thank you. Is a means of finding grace. Now we know in the Bible that uh, we have been given the privilege to approach the throne of God and find grace in time of our need. This is only this week studying I discovered my something I've never discovered before. There is also a kind of grace that is not too often spoken and perhaps undiscovered. It is the grace which I call here grace that gives God. Grace that gives you the strength to face the next biggest fear of your life. And the passage here, they are calling to the God, to God who is the king, and they are saying, may he answer you, the one who is, as it says here, may the name of God of Jacob. And, and that just the link there with Jacob tells us the grace. Because Jacob, in time of distress, you read Genesis chapter 32 all the way to 33. In time of distress and fear, he had a strong fear. And it was due to meeting his own brother, Esau. And you know the story. And he had the fear. But then he went on his knees and prayed and said, Oh Lord, save me. And now he was given the grace. And even as if he fought with the Lord. And in chapter 33, verse 3, as a, the one he feared was approaching towards him. He was now given the gut to go ahead of his family. Look at that verse. Just there in Genesis chapter 33 verse 3 it says, And Jacob went ahead. He did not fear anymore. Because after all, what can a man or a person do to the one who has been blessed by the Lord from a place of prayer? He has been given the grace. Maybe to some of you here, if you are in distress, and many of us are, and facing the biggest fear, when we bring these to the Lord in prayer, it gives us grace to face the next biggest fear. Let me finish with a little and a short story. This is from the wife of Martin John Lloyd, who was a famous minister. His wife had an oppressive fear that he kept to herself and not telling anyone. As they were in Wales in their first pastorate, 
And because of the waves and the winds that made a few people there to perish, so she had this fear of the strong waves and gales and winds and, and the tide that might come and perhaps might just blow them away. And one night, her husband was away and she was alone with the baby. And all she had, the tide. In fact, she even bought a program to try to know where the tide is coming. Not like this day when you can check them in the computer. But in those days, so that night, and she could not sleep and begin to think, what if they just say, the tide come all the way to my street? Where will I escape? Is it through the window or is it the roof? He was, she was filled with this oppressive fear. She tossed it in panic back and forth from her bed. And she said, and she got the grace to go on our knees and to pray, Lord, if you are there, save me. And the fear left. Now you may say, oh, that's so dramatic. I don't get that many a time. But is it not that what we get when we come to the Lord in prayer? The Bible tells us, let us approach the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace in our time of need. A cry of battle. As we face many battles, we should not fight them on our own strength. Together as a fellowship, on our knees, as we cry to the Lord, we will hear the battle doesn't belong to you. The battle is mine. When you are in distress, take it to the Lord in prayer. And he will answer us. To God be the glory. Amen.